as a child growing up, I had the last name Lemon. I was born with it. I was often taught that sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I found that to be a very difficult thing to live out. Even on a good day, words have a way of piercing through to our hearts. Words of ridicule, words of mockery, uh, they can be very destructive to us at times. Shakespeare said this, paper bullets of the brain, but those paper bullets have slain many a warrior. He said that in regards to ridicule, because sometimes that word of ridicule is like that paper bullet that seems harmless, but that paper bullet does have a way of slaying even the greatest of warriors. This morning we return to the book of Nehemiah, and we continue journeying through Nehemiah. And we started the rebuilding stage of Nehemiah last time we were in Nehemiah in chapter 3. And we looked at how Nehemiah designated each of the sections of wall for the people to rebuild and designated all of the gates to be rebuilt. And as we come to chapter 4, we continue this rebuilding stage. But it's here in chapter 4 uh, that we see the opposition begin to mount, the opposition begin to move forward. We already know that when the work of God is attempted, opposition is sure to follow. And that's what's happening here in the book of Nehemiah. And in chapter 4, that opposition shows its face. This morning, we see Nehemiah and the people of Jerusalem working on overcoming ridicule. And as we look at them, and as we see them overcoming ridicule, uh, there's a great reminder here for us, and, and some things that we could observe as we think about ridicule and overcoming ridicule. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I invite you to turn to Nehemiah 4, and look at verse 1 with me. Nehemiah 4, verse 1. It says this, Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they receive, will they revive the stones uh, and, uh, out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah, the Ammonite, was beside him. And he said, yes, what are they building? If, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, we who are despised, turn back their taunt on their heads and give them up to, to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Great God in heaven, we're thankful that you are the 
great God in heaven, that there is no other. And Lord, as we bow before you this morning, we just pray, Lord, that our hearts and minds would be open and bowed before you as well. That we would be able to drink in what you have for us, Lord. You know what kind of week it's been. You know what lies ahead for us in the upcoming week. But I pray, Lord, that in our time together, we would drink in what you have for us. So let us hear from you this morning. We're so thankful for your son, Jesus, and all that we have because of your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Now, as we look at this passage this morning, there are three headings that we're going to use to kind of lead us through. Can you turn on the computer there for me, Nate? There are three headings that we're going to use as we make our way through this. The first thing we see is the opponent's ridicule. The second thing we see is Nehemiah prayed. And the third thing we see is workers build. Now, as we look at these three passages and as we unfold these three passages, we're going to see this ridicule that, that Nehemiah and the people of Jerusalem were facing and how they overcame what they were facing. Now, the first thing we want to look at is in verse 1 there. And we see opponents ridiculed. Look at verse 1. It says, when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall. Now, this is not the first time we've seen Sanballat. We've been introduced to him prior to this. It was in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 10, uh, that we read this. But when Sanballat, the Horamite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, servant, heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So when this group of people led by Nehemiah came, and he was a governor, as they came and he saw them, he was disappointed and displeased that anybody was returning to Jerusalem. He was kind of enjoying the fact that Jerusalem was in shambles. He enjoyed the fact that the walls hadn't been rebuilt. He kind of enjoyed the fact that Jerusalem was in disarray, and he did not want to see anything good happening in Jerusalem. And we saw that he was a Horonite as a governor of Samaria, and being how he was Samarian, he would have been opposed in every way to anything that the Jews did. That was just in his blood. He despised the Jews, and he's already suggested that the only reason they're there is to rebel against the king. So Sambalat has already been stirring things up, trying to get people to be angry with the, the Jews being there in Jerusalem, seeking to rebuild. And as we look at Sambalat, and we're going to see him for a few more chapters here, as we see him, he's one of those characters that you want to keep an eye on. He's one of those characters that you don't really want to let him out of sight because you don't know what he's going to do. That's Sambalat, and that's the way he, he works. Now, notice what it says here. Now, when Sambalat heard that we were building the wall, Sambalat didn't hear anything about it until progress was starting to be made. He thought they were just going there and going to take care of things and not really too worried about them. But then he hears that progress is being made. If there had been no progress made, there would have been no news, and Sambalat wouldn't have been bent out of shape. But because progress was being made, because people were talking, 
it got back to Sambalat, and he was not happy about it. And notice what it says there in verse 1. He was angry and greatly enraged. This word that's used here, this Hebrew word, means that his nose became hot. Isn't that awesome? Uh, we would say a hothead, right? But when you look at me, you would think hot nose, wouldn't you? Because of my profile. But he was a hothead. He was a hot nose. That's, that's where he was. And as soon as he heard this, he became hot. He was not happy that they were back in Jerusalem. And he was not happy that progress was being made on the wall. He did not like the idea of them being able to defend themselves. He did not like the idea of them being able and being independent and, and being able to do things on their own. The Jews were an irritation to him already. And now they start rebuilding and they start standing on their own. And he really was not happy. Notice his response there in verse 1. He jeered at the Jews. Now, this word for jeer here means to make a mocking remark. And most often when we jeer, it's a, a remark that's typically done in a loud voice. So he is sharing this and he's jeering them in a loud voice so that others would hear what he's saying. The walls were beginning to go up. In chapter 3, we saw that the walls were divided in 45 different sections. Nehemiah appointing certain families to take care of certain walls. Outsiders taking care of certain sections of those walls. Some were even in charge of putting up gates. Each one had their own task. Here in Jerusalem, there was a sense of unity. There was a sense of focus. There was a sense of mission. As these people came together, working together, progress was being made. Sambalat decides to launch these missiles to seek to cripple them. If there had been no progress, these missiles would not have been needed. But there was progress. Opposition is almost always caused by success. You know, when we are not successful, when we are not making a difference for the kingdom of God, no one cares. But when progress is being made, when we are making a difference for the kingdom of God, we can expect opposition to come. Sambalat doesn't want to see Nehemiah succeed. He doesn't want Jerusalem to succeed. He doesn't want Jerusalem to prosper. Uh, this is really a threat to his position. This is a threat to his way of life. If Jerusalem is successful, they're on a major trade route. If Jerusalem gets to their feet, this could mean a loss of trade for his kingdom. This is not a good thing for him. Their success could be a, a loss of finances. But you know, as we think about all of these reasons why Sambalat is not happy, I think we know the primary reason. It's because <laughs> Satan is not happy. 
we look at opposition sometimes and we see opposition, but you know our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is with Satan. And when Jerusalem gets on their feet, when God's people begin to succeed, when God's people are successful, Satan does not applaud. He is not excited about that. And he will find whoever he can to help break one of those things up. And he's using Sambalat in this instance. God seeking to lead Nehemiah to rebuild. Satan seeking to make sure Jerusalem isn't rebuilt. And you know, since the beginning of time, we've seen this battle going on. And this battle still goes on today. This battle continues today. Now notice what Sambalat does here in verse 2. He said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria. Sambalat knew what he was doing. He knew that this would get back to the Jewish people. He knew they would hear it. He figured that sometime, eventually, they would hear it. When I was a kid growing up, my dad used to tell me that our town is on the side of a hill, the firehouse is on the top of the hill, and we lived kind of down the bottom of the hill on Main Street. And my dad said that you could go to the top of our hill and share with somebody something. And by the time you drive down to where we live, everybody would already know. <laughs> and you know what? I found that to be very true. Sometimes you could use that system for your advantage. You could share some news that you wanted everybody to know about, and everybody would know about it. But then there were times when you would share it and you didn't want anybody to know about it, and everybody would know about it. I think Sambalat, as he shared this message, he knew that the Jews would hear. And so he shared it with his group of people, but he knew that word travels fast, and bad words travel faster. Notice what he does here. He asks five questions. And these questions are questions of ridicule. And each one of these questions taunt a different place of weakness. The first question that he asks is in verse 2. What are these feeble Jews doing? Uh, this word that's here for feeble is the idea of frail. They are withered. They are a powerless people. They are feeble. They don't have the strength to pull this off. There's, there's no way they can do this. Sambalat didn't realize that God was with them. He didn't realize that God had called Nehemiah to this task, to rebuild. He didn't realize that the rebuilding of Jerusalem was a God thing, not a Nehemiah and a Jewish thing but it was a God thing. He didn't realize that. But by putting this question out there, by putting this question in their minds, this would be a great thing to pierce the hearts of the Jews to make them begin to question. He's right. We're not very strong people. He's right. We can't do this on our own. Oh no. Oh my. What will we ever do? 
He asks another question. Will they restore it for themselves? How are these feeble Jews going to rebuild this on their own? There's no way that they can. They're not, they're not trained engineers. There's not an architecture in the bunch. None of these guys know how to lay rebar and pour cement. These walls are going to be nine feet wide. How is this group of people going to pull off this architectural masterpiece? They cannot do it by themselves. They're going to need help. They're going to need help. What's that going to do to their minds? They're going to begin to question it. They're going to be able to begin to meditate on that. Oh no, he's right. This project is too big. We cannot do it ourselves. This is too complicated. What's rebar? We don't even have Facebook figured out yet, and he's talking rebar. How is this going to work? He asks a third question. Will they sacrifice? Paul, or Paul, Nehemiah, yeah, Sambalat, that's his name, Sambalat. Sometimes he goes by Paul, sometimes Nehemiah, but Sambalat's his name. Sambalat is mocking their faith. Sacrificing was a practice that they did in regards to worshiping their God. And he's mocking their faith. These guys are going to Jerusalem. It's going to take more than faith and prayer and worship to rebuild this wall. They're not going to be able to do this. Sometimes when believers share that our thoughts and prayers are with someone, we'll often hear someone say, thoughts and prayers are no good. What we need is policy. What we need is change. And that's exactly what Sambalat is telling them. Hey, your little religious practices are not going to rebuild this wall. You guys are not going to be able to do that. How do you think that started working in the minds of the Jews? The next question says, will they finish in a day? This wall is going to be miles around the city. 45 different sections, 9 feet wide. There is no way that this project is going to be finished in a day. This is a huge undertaking. It's going to take more than a day. This is going to be a process. This is going to be a task that they're going to do. How many of us kind of look forward to that first time we're going to mow the grass? Kind of get excited about it. But come June, we're ready for weed killer, aren't we? That first time the snow falls, waiting by the door with my shovel. As soon as it gets on the ground, I'm going, I'm going. And I shovel parts that don't normally get shoveled. But man, come February, it'll melt. Two more months, it'll melt. I'm not shoveling it away. This is going to be a large task. It's going to be exciting for the first couple days. But then, when the muscles are aching, it's not going to be so exciting then. They're not going to be able to stand. They're not going to be able to do the long haul that it's going to take. Just give them time, fellows, and the project will halt. It'll remain unfinished. It'll remain unbuilt because they're not going to do it in a day. 
They'll give up before that. Look at the fifth question that he asks. Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Sambalat looks, and he knows what their building materials are going to be. They're going to use a lot of those old stones. Some of those stones have been destroyed. Some of those stones are going to be unusable. But they're going to use some of those old stones. And it's not going to look brand new. It's going to look like they use old stones. <laughs> That's going to look hilarious when they use those old stones. He had no idea that Nehemiah had access to the king's forest. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 8, a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. All of these jabs were jabs to discourage the Jews. And if the Jews took their eyes off the prize, if the Jews forgot that the good hand of God was upon them, they would be derailed. They would be overwhelmed. This task was too big for them to do by themselves. But God was with them. God was with them. Look at verse 3. Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Tobiah the Ammonite, he's got to get his 10 cents in, doesn't he? Uh, he is a friend of Sanballat's, and he's there with Sanballat, and when we see Sanballat mentioned we often see Tobiah right there beside him. But Tobiah says, you know what? That wall is so flimsy that even if a fox walks across it, it will crumble down. You know, foxes don't travel in packs. They travel one and a one, one alone by themselves. And they hunt with stealth. And they're light-footed. Not a lot of weight to a fox. They're and smaller. That wall is going to be so flimsy that even a tiny little fox is going to bring it down. Sambalat, we have nothing to worry about. Because if a fox is going to make it crumble, think what an army is going to do to it. It is not going to hold up. So this is the ridicule that the opponents bring forward. This is the, the darts that they shoot at the Jews and that they shoot at Nehemiah hoping to discourage, hoping to detour them so that the project doesn't continue, that the project screeches to a halt. But notice what verse 4 says. Hear, O our God. Nehemiah goes to prayer. There is no word of introduction here. This is almost like we're in the moment with Nehemiah, have you ever read one of those books where you, it feels like you're with the author? It feels like you're living the life? I love coming out of those movies and 
feeling like that's me. You know, whenever the movie's good. Um, you know, when you, you see that, it's a sports movie and you live it, you feel like the athlete and, and you, you go to McDonald's and order everything on the menu because you can pay for it. You know, because you're just that excited about it. You know how that is. You're ready to run through a wall or tackle a car because you're just that fired up after the movie. We're in the movie. We're here with Nehemiah. Nehemiah is not telling us the story. We are living the story with Nehemiah. All of these jabs come. Nehemiah hears the ridicule. Nehemiah begins praying. He doesn't get bent out of shape that we see here. He doesn't retaliate. He doesn't go, I know you are, but what am I? He doesn't do that. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't seek to, to name call Sambalat. Oh yeah, well you're a worthless, you're a worthless governor and, and your mom wears combat boots. Uh, he doesn't do that. Uh, at least we're not from Ammon. Uh-huh. He doesn't do that. He doesn't defend their actions. He doesn't blow up in anger and in rage. Instead, Nehemiah turns to God in prayer. And Nehemiah begins to pray. And notice that he prays to our God. Hear, O our God. He prays to the God who sent them. He prays to the God who put this mission, this ministry on their hearts. That's who he turns to, the one that gave him the walking orders, the one who gave him the wisdom to have everybody build in sections. That's who he turns to. He turns to his master, to his Lord. And he leans on the Lord. And notice what he says, for we are despised. He knows the shape. He knows the condition they're in. He recognizes how they are viewed by everyone else. The people of the region were not excited about them being there. He doesn't say, woe is me. You know, this is so awful. Uh, maybe this is not how they think. He's like, we know we are despised. Nehemiah doesn't try hiding it from God. God already knows. Nehemiah goes to him, and he gives it to God. Nehemiah knew that company morale was on shaky ground. For 150 years, that's longer than almost all of us have been alive. 150 years, these walls have remained unbuilt, unrepaired. This was a project. This could be one of those moments that could make or break them. He prays to God. We are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads. Give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt. And let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of of the builders. Nehemiah is asking God to judge them. 
Nehemiah is asking for justice, not personal vengeance. He's not asking for personal vengeance. Uh, he wants the God of justice to step forward because their marching orders came from God and their actions are not against the wall builders. Their actions are against the one true God. This is not personal. This is against God. And notice what he says there at the end of verse 5. For they have provoked you to anger. They have upset you. We're here doing what we're supposed to be doing. They've provoked you to anger. They're challenging you and your authority. They've done this in the presence of the builders. Lord, work in this situation. Lord, work in this situation. As followers of Christ, we are going to be despised. But we must remember that it's not us that's despised. It is the message of Jesus Christ that is despised. We can expect it. But remember, it's not us. It's not personal. It's a God thing. Notice what happens next in verse 6. So, we built. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? I love that. When I read that, I kind of I I had to cheer. Yes! Yes! They had an opportunity to be discouraged. They had an opportunity to be detoured. But we built. There's all of these things going on, challenging them, making them want to stop. So we built. So we built. I have to say that that rebel kind of lives in me as well. There's that old saying, I don't think you can do this. So I did it. Or tried it, anyway. That's exactly them. They have everybody against them. Sam Malak and his people don't want them to succeed. But God is with them. And they looked at the threats, they looked at the ridicule, and they went, so? We're building. We're getting after it. We don't care. Ridicule came. Nehemiah prayed. And they built. They did not stop working. They didn't pray for God to show them a way. They worked. Because they already had their marching orders from God, right? This wasn't God saying stop. This was Sanballat and his cronies. We're building. God told us to build. We're building. Notice what it says as verse 6 continues. So we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height. You know what the word all means in the Hebrew? It's all. All the wall was joined together to half its height. Forty-five sections put together. No holes, no gaps. It was all put together. They were half as high 
as they were going to be, but they're half as high as they're going to be. No holes. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15 tells us that it took them 52 days to build the entire wall. So if they're halfway up, 52 days, figure six weeks a day because they stopped for the Sabbath, eight weeks it took them to build the whole wall. So at this point, we very well could be four weeks in. But you know, sometimes starting the project goes a little slower when you begin it. So we could be six weeks in here. But it's half the height that it's supposed to be. And the only way they can get in is coming over the top. Notice what it says at the end of verse six there. For the people had a mind to work. They could not be deterred because they had a mind to work. They would not let the ridicule keep them from working because they had a mind to work. The work was the work that God placed on Nehemiah's heart. It was the work that Nehemiah had a vision for and spread and shared that vision to everybody else. Everybody else bought in to that vision and everybody else did that work. They had a mind to work. How often do we allow ridicule to discourage us? And instead of focusing on the work that needs to be done, we focus on the ridicule that comes our way. They got walls to be built. Ain't nobody got time for that ridicule. They're building. They're moving forward. They have a mind to work. Some of us have that mindset as well, don't we? It doesn't matter if we're injured or whatever. It Work's got to be done. You, you, you get out there and you got one finger that's kind of off to the side, but you know what? A little bit of duct tape and a little bit of... That'll work. I can finish. That's kind of our mindset. This is their mindset. All of the opposition's coming and they're like, oh well, we got work to do. We're finishing the work. So there you have it. The first six verses of Nehemiah 4. The opponents ridiculed them. Nehemiah heard the ridicule, but he prayed. And the workers, they just built. They just built. What do we take home from this? I mean, what do we apply to our lives? Well, as we think about serving the Lord, as we think about working on expanding and rebuilding and constructing the kingdom of God, we can rest assured that ridicule is going to come. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. I remember one time I was at someone's door, and I don't know why I was selling cherry pie, but I was selling cherry pie. And I told them, I said, you know what? 
we baked one of these pies last week and took it to a church potluck and it was the only pie that was completely gone. That's how good a Schwann's cherry pie is. And she said, you're one of those. And you know what? That's kind of a minor thing. You know, it doesn't seem like it's that big. But you know what? If I meditate on that, and if I think about that, and I understand the tone in her voice, one of those, that may be a discouragement to me. That might be a minor, it seems like a minor thing to us. But sometimes those minor jabs are what poke a hole in our armor, right? That's what pokes a hole in our armor. When we serve God, when we desire to be counted among those who are followers of Christ, ridicule is going to come. It might be a small jab like that. It might be a bigger jab. But we can anticipate ridicule is going to come. So when it comes, we shouldn't be surprised. Remember when the disciples, the apostles, faced persecution for the first time, and they told them, the people uh, told them, no longer proclaim the name of Jesus. And they went out, and they were excited that they got persecuted. <laughs> we're in the group. Ridicule is going to come. We need to be mindful of that. And we need to be ready for it. So that when it comes, we're just like, yeah, my mama said there would be days like this. But that's part of being a child of the king. If God has placed it on our hearts, he will see it through. If God is leading us, if God is directing us, if God is the one who's given us our marching orders, then we need to make sure that when ridicule comes, that we hold on to that and know that God has brought us here. Uh, a pastor friend of ours, when we uh, heard news of a, a first church, and we decided to go and pastor a small church in Medina, Michigan, our, my pastor friend told me, he said, hey, there's going to be opposition that's going to be there for you. And it's going to greet you. But the thing that you got to remind yourself is that God has placed me here. That God has put me here. And there were those times where uh, things were difficult. But we would look at each other and go, you know what? God has brought us here. God has put us here. And, and that helps us weather a lot of storms knowing this is where God has put us. And when God has called you to something, and when God is leading you to something, when those difficult things come, hang on to that. I don't know why, but God has put me here. God has put me here. And you know what? God will see me through. It feels like I'm up a creek without a paddle, but you know what? God will make sure I get a paddle. You'll see us We must lean on him and we must trust in him. There are going to be those times when it feels like there's no one. There's going to be those times when, when the, the jeering is pretty loud. But if we know this is where God has placed us, 
If we know this is what God has, has us to do, we just need to lean on him and trust in him. And you know what? As we look at this, there's a reminder that prayer is our weapon. Prayer is there for us. And just like Nehemiah went and said, Lord, nobody likes us. But I know we're here because of you. Lord, no one likes me. But I know you've called me here. I know you're doing this. Help me. God wants to hear that, doesn't he? God desires for us to be honest with them and say, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to do it. You're going to have to do it. I can't do it on my own. You're going to have to do it. That's got to be our mindset. Knowing God's will, knowing that God is with us, will give us strength. But we've got to be relying on God and relying on his strength to see us through.